if we as churches could actually resist um, splintering when we disagree and, and stay together and have communion with one another, even in our disagreement, or if we do need to part ways, to part ways in a way that honors one another, that is countercultural. It's one of the most profound missional messages that we could offer the world at large at this point in history. You're listening to The New Leaf Project, sharing stories from instigators, innovators, planters and starters from across Canada. Hello, I'm Jared. And my name is Elle. And you're listening to The New Leaf Project. Elle, why don't you tell us a little bit about today's episode? So today's episode, I had the privilege of interviewing Betty Priest, and Betty is Ah, you know, you just meet people and you're like, that is my kind of lady. She is my kind of lady. She is fascinating and has had such an interesting uh, life um, in terms of the work that she's done. So Betty has worked as um, a mediator, a trainer, a consultant, a lot of work on conflict resolution and conflict management. So she has um, taught uh, I think she's still teaching currently actually at Conrad Grable University with the conflict, conflict management and community justice programs there. Um, she has her own company called L3, works with a number of other consultants uh, doing this work. And um, interestingly enough, she actually works with a lot of church plants. So she gets called into um, by a number of different denominations. She actually works with a few of the denominations uh, that are a part of the New Leaf Network. And um, she gets to do this interesting work of walking people through uh, conflict conflict and, um, and, and works with church plants. And so um, she's been in all sorts of uh, interesting situations over the years. And um, I love her story. And I think it's really relevant. I think a lot of people are going to um, find it interesting because she gives some tips and some things to be keeping an eye out for um, in your church plant or really in any church congregation um, when you start to work around vision and values and um, She's a great episode, and I have the utmost respect for her, and I hope you guys enjoy it um, as much as I enjoyed interviewing her. All right, friends, let's uh, give it a listen. So today, friends, I have with me an exciting guest. This is Betty Priest. She is the CEO of Credence and Company, formerly L3, formerly ARC. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Betty, I'm thrilled that you're sitting down and chatting with us. And I think you've got lots of interesting things uh, to offer us. First, tell us a little bit about the work that you currently are doing. Uh, We do church consulting work. We also consult in the business context. So we work in both of those contexts. Some Some of you might know us by our previous name, which was ARC. And then we also had the name L3 for a while. Uh, when we began as ARC in 2006, uh, we were just church, we worked primarily with churches, but all of us worked with businesses as well. And so we brought that all under one roof uh, a year and a half ago. And we chose the name L3 and somebody's, well, we worked with a marketing company that said, mm, that's not working. And we went through a rebranding process. And so Credence and Company is our brand new name. I like it's it. very new and it's a beautiful logo. It's a beautiful website. So we're happy about that. Awesome. 
Um, in terms of what we do, <clears throat> we provide uh, for congregations. We do congregational renewal work. We do conflict transformation work. We do leadership coaching, clergy coaching. Uh, we do we teach workshops. We facilitate tough conversations. Uh, we help congregations develop healthy structures. We've helped some congregations develop um, effective policies and procedures. So it's kind of a real wraparound to mm-hmm. help churches be really healthy places. Um, it's our profound belief that despite what it looks like in terms of the world at large, the world it looks like the world at large is not interested in the church. It can look like that. We believe that the church today has, um, I don't know, I, I'm speaking maybe a little bit too much hyperbole here, but it feels like it's more important than ever before. And for churches to really be places of mission in the world, mm-hmm. we need to be healthy um, as congregations. And that includes healthy structures, it includes healthy policies, includes a real sense of where we're going and how we're listening for God's leading. Um, it includes um, how to relate to one another well. And so one of the key things that we also do with churches, and maybe I didn't mention that, is we also provide um, congregations with uh, sort of, um, we call it congregational renewal. And congregational renewal includes regular health checks around how are we paying attention for how, to God, how God is leading us in our congregational life at this time in this place. And so it's, it's just a real wraparound uh, to support congregations and their leaders uh, to help pastors be the people that they need to be and to help congregations become the people that God is calling them to be. Hmm. So That sounds wonderful. It's been delightful. It's been a, f- a fabulous ride. Um, I, get to be, I get to bring my whole self to my work. Uh, one of the things that we say for our company is that to be part of our company, everybody needs to have a daily spiritual practice. Uh, and so we often think of ourselves as people who are trying to be profoundly faith-based in whatever work that we do. Um, when we work with churches or secular organizations, we're trying to bring our whole selves into that. And so churches give me a place where I get to think theologically, I get to pray with people, and I get to have important conversations about um, a whole variety of things, depending on what the congregation needs at this point in its history. Hmm. So whether it's a church startup where they need something, you know, that relates to that, or whether it's a church that's 100 years old, and what they need to do is learn how to have really important conversations with each other because they've lost the ability to do so. There's just a whole variety of things that we are called into, and that kind of creativity of trying to find the match to whatever the need is just really makes me happy. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. So when you're working with, um, since we have so many listeners uh, with New Leaf that are involved in church plant or church startup world, what are some of the common conversations or the, or the, the situations that you're getting pulled into uh, around church plants? Yeah. So church plants, um, a couple of different things. And I, I often think of them as church startups just because... I love it. You, you can use those terms. Yeah, it's sort of 21st century to think of it. And, and there's something innovative when we think about the sort of the startup language with respect to churches. And some church startups, or sorry, some startups work and some startups don't work. Just like some church startups work and some church startups don't work. And that doesn't mean, when a church startup doesn't work, that doesn't mean it wasn't a good, like, doesn't mean it wasn't valuable. It doesn't mean it wasn't faithful. Um, it means that we tried something and we learned something, and maybe that will influence where we go next. So let me just say that. In terms of the kind of work that we're called into, so one of the things that we know is that church startups are often, um, well, you know, you can just imagine you're wanting to do a new thing. And at some point, you have to ask the question, 
How are we going to support this new thing? What structure will we have to support this? And one of the things that I've noticed, not true for all startups, but for some church startups, there's a real fear around structure because many people who come to church startups come from congregations that are highly structured, overstructured maybe, and sometimes it feels like people who are coming to church startups are kind of like structure refugees. And they've been to these highly structured churches, they feel like these are bureaucratic only, and they can't sense God's Spirit, and so they want to come to this new place where God's Spirit is really present. And one of the things that we know about church startups, uh, the reason people are attracted to them is often because there is a sense of God's presence feeling being really near and, and it feels like it's just right there, right? Mm. And there's the sense of common vision and purpose. It's just, there's such electricity around it, which it makes it so delightful. And so people often feel like, oh, if there's all this electricity here, like this wonderful electricity, this good stuff around feeling God's presence and we're alive and all those things, isn't structure going to take us right back to that bureaucracy that we fled? And so, but what would I also know is that a church without a healthy structure can't achieve its mission. And I'm going to give you a concrete example. There was a church that I worked with a number of years ago where they were so afraid of structure, they intentionally did not create a structure. And so any structure that would emerge, they would kind of limit it or kill it before it could really take root because they want to be spirit-led rather than structure-led. And of course, it's wonderful to be spirit-led rather than structure-led, but without a structure, the mission has no legs. Um, And let me, you know, um, to just give you a little example of that, sort of metaphor, uh, back in the day, um, there was the Farside Karmic. Do you remember the Farside cartoons? Yeah. Yeah. Gary Larson. So Gary Larson um, has a Farside cartoon, and the title of the Farside cartoon is the, um, The Boneless Chicken Ranch. And the boneless chicken ranch, you can Google it, it's a great little cartoon, has all these boneless chickens lying on the ground because, of course, they have no bones, so they can't run. So there's this ranch without these, with these chickens without bones. I sometimes think of um, congregations without structure as like a, boneless, like a boneless chicken ranch because a church startup that has no structure has no bones to animate the, or to, to, yeah, to animate the flesh that is trying to do God's great work. And so uh, structure is not wrong. Well, where we get ourselves in tr- trouble is when we become structure-driven rather than vision-driven. Mm-hmm. But if we keep the vision in front of us and allow the structure to support the vision, then structure can actually be pivotal. So this congregation that I worked with that had been resistant developing a, to developing a structure they never were really able to grow. They were vibrant. They had this real sense of spiritual aliveness in their worship service, but they struggled with achieving their sense of mission and purpose. And that started to create a sense of malaise because where's like, isn't God calling us? But it was the absence of structure that was getting them in trouble. And so in that case, we developed a structure in order to support the vision that they already had. Um, and so that's, so that's just one example of how church startups can sometimes limit their own ability to achieve their dreams because they don't develop a structure to support the vision that they've got in place. When it comes to structure, what what are a few things or three things that uh, a church startup should be thinking through? If they're kind of finding themselves in this place that you've described, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is true for many church startups right now, what are some of the questions that they have to start asking themselves if they want to start thinking about structure? Oh, so there'd be a lot of questions. Um, uh, one of them, for example, is the structure that you create when you are just 30 people is not the structure that's going to still serve you when you're 60 people or 100 or that's 300 important. or 1,000. And the reason that's important is 
again, different congregation, but their structure was designed for a church of 30. And they were trying to hold on to that structure when they were a church of 230. And in the process, well, a church of 200, uh, sorry, let me try that again. A church of 30 tends to have a lot of people playing multiple roles, a lot of family members playing multiple roles, and power is really held by a few like, well, by the people who are there, which is just a small number. When you're 230, if all of your power is still held with that same original group of people, you're not a welcoming congregation. Hmm. And people will start to resent the leadership because the leadership feels too much caged in one small group and it doesn't feel dispersed. It doesn't feel like there are other lay people who have a chance to, have a partic- to participate in the leadership of the congregation. So one of the things to be aware of is structure is kind of limited, uh, time limited, I mean. So when a, current, when a startup develops a structure, you'll probably have to revisit the structure in, in maybe a year or two, and then maybe another five years, and then maybe another 10 years. Because the structure needs to match your size. It also needs to match your congregational culture. Um, some, congregate, some startups want to pick an off-the-shelf structure, but that off-the-shelf structure, if it doesn't match your congregational culture, it's not necessarily going to work. Right. And so I've worked, I've designed really different structures for different congregations because those structures need to match their size and they need to match their culture. And so what one congregation feels ready for, another one doesn't mm. uh, for a variety of reasons. And so finding a structure that matches your culture, matches your size, um, I'd say both of those are important and being aware of the fact that that is going to change over a period of time. So that would be one thing I would say around structure. The other thing that I would say is um, be careful of the seeds that you plant. I would say that's true for congregational culture. It's also true for congregational structure. And what I mean by that is the seeds that you plant today are going to still be, well, let me put it this way. We rooted out, tried to, a trumpet vine in our backyard um, a couple of years ago. And my goodness, does that trumpet vine keep sending out shoot? I, we have we have pulled it. It's, it was in the wrong spot. We've pulled it, we'll pull it, pulled it, pulled it. And it's still sending out these suckers all over the place, right? Near to where that original plant was. It's true for churches too. That When church startups, the seeds that you plant around your congregational culture and your congregational structure early on, they will keep sending suckers out for a long time to come. Mm. Uh, and so I work with congregations that are 100 years old that are still struggling with certain seeds that were planted 100 years earlier. And people don't even know what they're dealing with except they have some re- they have some tension points around something that they don't necessarily recognize. Mm. So, for example, uh, with respect to structure, uh, I've worked with a congregation that uh, with res- they one of the things that they decided early, early on when they were a church startup and they were small was that they would always remain small and that if they got to a certain size, they would um, develop a new, they'd plant a new church. Well, they got to that certain size and they said to the new people, we're that size now, you go plant a new church. And the new people said, mm, but we joined you because of we want to join you. We didn't join you because we wanted to be a church plant. And the older people said, well, we don't want to be a church plant because we've already done that once. Yeah, we've been through that. Been there, done that. Yep. And, um, and so then they didn't know what to do. So they, you know, they developed two services and all these great things. But in some really, um, I think, subtle ways, what this church has done, because the seed that was planted at the beginning was that we will always be small, what the church has done is it finds ways of 
truncating all of its growth opportunities. Hmm. They don't do it intentionally. They don't do it consciously. It's all very unconscious, but it's the seed that was planted, right? Um, Or similarly, uh, one thing that I've seen in lots of congregations is when churches are small, we tend to haul, we tend to have our, like, so startups are often small, right? So we tend to hold all of our decision-making in one body. That's administrative decision-making and ministry decision-making. And one of the things that can happen in those situations is that the we make all of our spiritual uh, responsibilities we put with the pastor, mm. and we as the lay people take care of all the administrative responsibilities. Long term, that has some significant consequences. If the only person in your congregational structure who has responsibility for spiritual welfare of the congregation is a paid person, the lay people will learn through a period of years, that spirituality belongs to ordained people or paid people and does not belong to um, lay people. And so then we become we develop a real dependency personality um, as congregations, and it can really limit the spiritual growth and the and the spiritual self responsibility that people in the current or and the responsibility that people in the congregation take for their own spiritual right. development. So that would be an example of a seed that has been that I know in a couple of different places was planted early on that has not been helpful. Or another example would be uh, some church startups really have um, invest a lot of power in their paid people. Some church startups do the exact opposite, and they give their paid people zero power, and the lay people own all of the power in the system. Both of those can be really problematic. So the ones where if you're a paid person, and so many church startups don't even have a paid person, but usually eventually we do. So if you're a designated spiritual leader, your pastor, if this person doesn't have a place where they, can, where they have a voice outside of Sunday morning, over the long haul, it'll be really hard to retain strong pastoral leadership because people will, the, the pastoral leaders will feel really disenfranchised and disempowered. On the other hand, when we invest so much authority in the paid person that all decisions are made by that person, again, it creates a real dependency among the lay people. And when that person retires, those places can often flounder mm. because they don't have enough strength in their lay ministry to carry the day through to the next person and so forth. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense. I'm just thinking of all of the church plants that I know of that are probably struggling through a lot of those things. So thanks for sharing those really great insights about structure. I know it's something that um, a lot of us think a lot about. How to to still, you know, when you're saying about structure refugees, I was just thinking of like so many people I know that have left larger churches Mm -hmm. desiring to be a part of something brand new and fresh. And it is as if they are a little bit weary of the structures um, only because of what they've experienced. So that that was really insightful. I was listening very intently. Um, so other than the structure pieces, when it comes to church startups, when you're doing work with them, are there any other things that planters should be aware of or some things that they should be thinking through when it mm-hmm. comes to, you know, I think about conflict. I know there's all sorts of different things that you've worked with a number of startups. with. Around. Yeah. So let me, let me, I'll come to conflict in a minute. Let me talk a little bit about innovation, innovation diffusion. Um, because I think that's something I like that term. <laughs> I think it's something really important for current, for church startups to be thinking about. Um, each one of our established churches was a church startup at one point, uh, and usually when church startups um, start up, there's a lot of sense of innovation and creativity. Like I said earlier, the sense of God's aliveness and mm-hmm. so forth, and that's all wonderful. 
if we aren't paying attention, we will give our alter startups, give yourselves 30, 40 years, 50 years. If we're not paying attention, we will no longer feel like the innovative, creative person group that we thought we were. Um, and it's related to this concept of innovation diffusion, that when something is new, we, um, we get all creative about it, we get innovative about it, we get excited about it, it draws lots of new energy, and we tend to also draw the innovators. Hmm. Um, but eventually, innovators get older and maybe aren't feeling so innovative anymore. Uh, the children who are grown up in the church, they, don't, they, didn't, they didn't come because of innovation. The people who are attracted to the church didn't become, come because they were innovators. They came because they wanted to join what already existed. And what ends up happening is the church starts to develop, a, initially, a healthy balance between innovators and stabilizers. Then what happens is, let's say that this church wants to start a daughter church. It tends to be that the innovators go and the stabilizers stay. So the church that once was innovative now is full of stabilizers, and the innovators have left to do a church plant. Um, and so the church plant group starts to grow, and the stabilizing group, the original church plant, starts to shrink because stabilizers need a healthy balance of stabilizers and innovators to keep the sense of aliveness going on in the church. Hmm. So one of the things that we talk about with congregational renewal is when a congregation is young and beginning, there's this sense of excitement and innovation, and that's wonderful. And eventually, that, that excitement and innovation starts to create some structure. It, it, you have a sense of the yearly rhythm. You have a sense of the yearly work plan. You have a sense of the Sunday school year, if you have a Sunday school, all of that kind of stuff. And so you start to do things according to that rhythm. And one of the things that we, can say, we say is that um, you can keep doing those things according to that rhythm as long as the answers to a couple of basic questions don't change. But once the answers to those basic questions change, it's important to go back to that innovative state, space and to rethink who you're being called to be. So some basic questions. The basic questions are, who are we? Why are we here? What shall we do? Uh, who's our neighbor? And another one that I always add is, who do you say that I am? Who do we say that Jesus is? What's, what's at the core of our faith or in our, in our faith practices? Who's God calling us to be? Who's God calling us to be with regards to our neighbors, or the people around us, you know, mm-hmm. our missional purpose? Um, who are we? All of those are basic questions that congregations naturally, they don't even know they're asking, but church startups will ask themselves these questions very naturally yes. without even being conscious of it. But, and then when we answer those questions, we start to stabilize. We start to create our programs. We start to create our rhythm. We start to create our structure. All of that's good. And then what happens is life changes. And when life changes, the answers to those questions start to change. But what happens is we don't, pay it, we don't notice that the answers to those questions have changed. And so we keep ans- giving the same answer to the question, but actually the true answer has changed. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, for example, it's a church that I was working with, um, in, not in Ontario, that had um, its central purpose was to be a mission to homeless and borderline homeless um, people, poor people in this particular city. And so they did this great ministry. They had lots of really exciting ministry happening, small little church, but their sense of mission and, vibrant, and vibrancy around that mission was really great. Mm. And then the area gentrified. And all of a sudden, the homeless people weren't there anymore. And their sense of mission and purpose was, but, but who are we? We are here to be God's, minister, God's light in this place of darkness, right? And, and that was 
gone. And so then they had to reimagine who are we being called to be in the context of a mission that no longer fits where we, so where we are. So do we move our congregation's little space mm. or do we change our mission to match our neighborhood? Um, so that would be a concrete example of that. But there are lots of ways. A congregation, a uh, lot of church startups have a lot of young people with kids. And as those kids get older, our sense of identity as a congregation begins to shift. And often the people who started the church at age 30 are kind of still holding the, um, the baton of leadership when they're 60. How do we, and then so the answer of who are we has changed because we're no longer 30-year-olds, we're 60-year-olds. Right. Um, does, does, do we need to turn the baton over to the new 30-year-olds or do we need to change our, our sense of identity to match who we are today? So, I mean, those are two little concrete examples, but it's, it's this idea that in order to have that vibrancy, we need to notice when we are changing, how we are changing, and that as we do that, to come back to those questions. Who are we? Why are we here? What shall we do? To revisit those questions and to answer them again, and then to allow that innovative flair to emerge within us, paying attention all the time. How is God leading us? How is God leading us? How is God speaking to us and through us at this time, in this context that we're in, which is different than we were 30 years ago? Hmm. Oh, that's really good. How Do you think that's something that church plants or, or even congregations, is that something they should go through every five years maybe? Like, is that even even le- like less every three? Like, I think those questions are so healthy, but how... So there's one congregation I know that appointed one person to be on their board, and they gave this person the title vision agitator. And his, <laughs> true, and his job was to always ask these questions and to, to keep the vision sort of of the congregation as a bit of a measuring stick mm. whenever they're holding it up for the congregation and for its leaders. Because when you're the chairperson you're busy focusing on managing the agenda. When you're a participant, you're busy on responding to the agenda. And they gave this person specifically the role to always hold the measuring step up, stick up. Does this match our vision? How are we paying attention to who are we? Why are we here? How is God calling us? How are you paying attention to those questions? So that was the one responsibility this person held at meetings all the time. So I think that's interesting. It's very interesting. We can have regular check-ins to say, how are we doing? How are we listening for God's leading? And doing that on a regular basis, every three years, every five years, I think makes a lot of sense. Mm. But also finding ways of paying attention to it between those five-year markers also makes a lot of sense. Right. Vision agitator. Yeah. I like that. That'd be great on a resume. It wouldn't it? (laughs) That's my role, vision agitator. (laughs) So when it comes to conflict with with church startups, what are some of the things that you see or things that people should be paying attention to or being aware of when Mm -hmm. they're starting these new works or even as they're kind of getting into the Mm -hmm. maturing stage of of a church startup? Yeah, that's a great question. So in terms of the conflicts that I've seen church startups encounter, one of them is around power and sharing power. So you might have the person with the idea, and that person might even be supported by their denomination. So they've got some money behind them, and they're out there trying to rustle up um, energy around doing a church plant. And then you often have key lay people who come alongside to work with this person to get this church startup going. And they're, one of the challenges that can be that can emerge is competition about whose vision is this, mm. whose church is this, and of course it's God's church. But when 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 our sense of um, who we are is tied up with the success of this place, 
Um, or when, when we're not feeling really grounded, we can be threatened when people have visions who are, that differ from ours or when they have more leadership, when, they're, when their leadership that they're playing feels like it's not honoring ours and so forth. And so it's, it's part of the human condition. Uh, you know, for, for sh- many of you will know of this, um, this little moniker that says when a, when a startup starts of any type, when a group starts, you go through forming norming, storming, reforming, right? Church startups tend to go through the same process. So you form and you develop your norms. Um, and then in the process of developing your norms, eh, you start to storm with one another. Uh, you're trying to, you're sort of testing those norms out, testing, you know, how they rest with one another. And personalities can sometimes get betwixt and between this, mm-hmm. these norms and, and make things a struggle. And that storming stage is actually fairly natural and it helps us to reform and renorm. And then we tend to do that again and again and again. And we need to do that again. It's part of revisioning is to renorm and restorm as we try to figure out how to be with one another. But that storming stage can be really, really hard for church startups because when we're new and we're just kind of brainstorming and getting new ideas going and, and you know, practicing new ways of doing worship and it's all exciting and new, we give each other a lot of grace. Oh, it didn't work this Sunday, but next Sunday, right? And there's sort of a, um, or maybe not Sunday, maybe it's a midweek thing, doesn't matter. But we tend to be kind of open to experimentation. But eventually that, we start to get tired of the in the Innovation over the long haul can be tiring mm-hmm. if we don't start to structure some things. And then people, so all of a sudden somebody's structuring it differently than we'd like, or they're taking on levels of leadership we didn't think they had. And if we don't have the policies and procedures in place, then we have no way of containing um, people running off in different directions. And so then it can start to pull us apart a little bit. And because it was so beautiful and lovely at the beginning, we often feel quite... Um, almost ashamed when the storming emerges and we start to see ourselves, many people see, oh, we're not being Christian anymore. Mm. Um, we start to self-judge rather than saying storming is a normal part of becoming a group together. Um, let's honor each other and listen for God's leading in these tough conversations. We might be storming for about a year. Storming in and of itself is not a problem. It's, it's because it, what's happening in the storming stage is we're testing and we're, we're trying to figure out what's this, what's that. And we're, and we're really bringing our wisdom and our differences together to form a better congregation. So it's all good. Except that we often turn that storming into, being, into personal attacks. Oh, you know, that person and she's like this. And we roll our eyes and we get frustrated and we go home angry and that kind of thing. Rather than saying, yep. This is a natural part of, part of church development. We need to figure out how to be together, and we need to let our differences rub up against each other because the Spirit is probably not 100% me, the Spirit's probably not 100% in you. The Spirit's probably in that meeting point between us, and the rubbing up against each other might just be the activity of the Spirit. Hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's a different way to think about conflict. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, conflict can also go bad, right? Oh, absolutely. But if we can, I guess I often think of the stage one of conflict. I don't call it conflict. I call it healthy disagreement, where we can really disagree and we can even be quite um, energetic in our disagreement, but we're holding that disagreement with joy and we're not making it personal. When that shifts to, oh, I'm so tired of her, I don't like him, we've turned that healthy disagreement into conflict. And that's when it can get very tricky. Mm. Um, So conflict uh, is painful, and it can, we can start to triangulate, we can start to entrench, and we can start to, 
Well, what happens in in other lots of places, including in church startups, it actually sometimes ends up killing the church mm-hmm. or killing the startup because the conflict gets so bad. Right. But if we can if we can stay at this place of healthy disagreement and seeing mm-hmm. the disagreement as the activity of the spirit, that's exciting. Um, and if we can learn to be in that disagreement well with one another, we're not just helping our startup to do well. We're planting really great seeds that will be there for the church that will continue to bear fruit for the church for years to come because we have this practice of disagreeing well with one another. Hmm. And that's amazing. I would say what I often say to churches is that the most profound witness that churches can give to the world at large today is to be able to be in dialogue with one another, even in our differences, to be able to have communion with one another, even in our differences. Because the world out there what we're seeing, and it's really starting to take root, is this polarization into us and them, self and other. And even in the church startup culture, or in church culture generally, we tend to go to churches where people think like us, talk like us, act like us, right? And if we as churches could actually resist um, splintering when we disagree and, and stay together and have communion with one another, even in our disagreement, or if we do need to part ways, to part ways in a way that honors one another, that is countercultural. It's one of the most profound missional messages that we could offer the world at large at this point in history. I like that. It makes um, Jesus' commentary about loving about the world will know us by our love for one another. You know, we think of that as this very airy fairy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, love is having hard conversations. Love is living together in, in disagreement and finding unity and diversity. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a much more profound statement than we often make it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that statement, you know, we say that fairly easily at church, but when it comes to the nuts and bolts, it's hard work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really hard work, but it's life. It can be very life-giving. When you, I mean, you work with so many congregations in so many different denominations, you're working with, you know, church plants, you're working with um, older congregations that are, you know, working through conflict or even just looking for a sense of renewal. Um, One of the things I admire about you is your hope for the church Mm. and your positivity about it. And I feel there are success stories out there, so that's hopeful, of course. You know, um, I worked with a large church recently that was a startup many years ago in 1979. Um, And they do so many things well. And they are, you know, paying attention to renewal. They're paying attention to how they can be faithful. And it's just exciting to walk alongside them, right? Um, I've worked with um, churches that are really old and struggling, struggling, struggling. But there's little seeds of hope um, that are emerging. And so that's exciting. Um, Working with startups who are finding their way and starting to put some healthy structures to allow them to really flourish. That's exciting. But I would say, so those are all success stories, right? One of the things that made me feel hopeless at one point in our history was I was observing people fleeing the church and I was observing churches doing same old, same old. Mm. And And the people fleeing the church are desperate for meaning, purpose, and belonging. Churches are in the business of meaning, purpose, and belonging. But somehow same old, same old wasn't connecting with the needs of all these people who are either fleeing the church or had never been in it in the first place. And so, and churches had a hard time with that conversation. And, and 10, 20 years ago, it felt like churches were not open to that conversation. And one of the things that gives me hope is that the church is open for it now. And so churches are willing to talk about what does it mean to be the church in the 21st century? What does it mean to pay attention to God's leading? What does it mean to listen for the nudgings of the Spirit? 
that's exciting to me. The other thing that gives me hope is that uh, we are starting as churches. I believe I'm seeing a kind of a spiritual renewal in churches across the denominational spectrums. Hmm. Um, I find it's always funny, you know, ministers, pastors will have little quotes often underneath their signatures. And sometimes I see the same quote underneath the signature of a mainline church as I would underneath a startup church, as I would underneath a major evangelical church. And I just, I, of course, they don't know that I'm, you know, getting these emails from all these different places. And, and I'm just, it just brings joy to my heart because we're starting to talk across those boundaries and we're starting to see life in each other. Um, and that's, to me, that's beautiful. But at the root of that beauty is that in every one of these corners, we are starting to see a sense of paying attention to how the Spirit is alive among us or within us, um, paying attention to how the Spirit is inviting us to be alive in the world. Um, I see a kind of a, I see an opening into that or a, a leaning into that, an openness to that. There are some churches uh, with whom I work that for years have been afraid to call themselves, who for years have been afraid to be publicly Christian mm. in the fear that that would turn people off. Well, they're starting to find their way with faith in new ways. And that's exciting. I see other churches that have been very publicly Christian, but have been very publicly Christian and have said, um, you know what? We haven't changed a lot of lives. We've just been a really good club with a lot of faith language associated with it. We need to be moving. We need to be transforming at a much deeper level. That's exciting to me. Well, Betty, I could talk to you for what feels like eight hours. <laughs> you have some great, amazing stories. And I just want to honor you and thank you for the work that you're doing with your, your company. I think it's incredibly important work between the church renewal and the conflict resolution and helping out church startups. It's, uh, it's amazing work you do. So thank you for sharing your time with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, friends, that was our very own L Pike interviewing Betty Priest. L, what were some of the big takeaways uh, for you from that interview? I loved all of it, but I think the part that I thought was really, well, two pieces, I guess I thought were really interesting was that when she was talking about the work that she does with church plants or with um, sometimes more established churches, uh, is that she can see the seeds of the, the things that were planted, whether that church has been around for five years as a church plant or whether it's been around for a hundred years, she sees the um, the fruit of the seeds that were planted, um, even from things that from long ago. And so the idea that we need to pay attention to core values and um, um, the the importance of really being intentional with the things that we plant when we when we start churches, um, because uh, whether or not we realize it, um, those seeds they take they take root, and that's something important to be thinking about as we start new things. The other thing um, I love that she talked about is the healthy approach that she has to conflict. Um, oftentimes in Christian circles, um, might not be intentional, but we hear this. Um, rhetoric that if there's conflict well that's a really bad thing and that conflict is you know oh, maybe that's not of God or maybe you know um, we think that conflict is this non-starter all of a sudden when it shows up but um, I love her approach to conflict in that it's actually really healthy it 
it's part normative it's part of um, what you're going to experience and rather than seeing it as um, a roadblock actually use that to help you in your organization and in your church plant um, have some really healthy and important conversations um, oftentimes uh, from her perspective when organizations work through conflict uh, it actually ends up becoming a really great thing and so I love hearing that approach to conflict because um, it happens uh, with Christians it happens in church plants it happens in um, startups it happens in anything new just like in life conflict happens so how we deal with that is really important and I love um, I love the advice that she gives and I love her whole approach to viewing conflict as something really healthy so lots of great takeaways for me um, I really appreciate her and I, I think she's a real gift in the work that she's doing I, I fully agree. Uh, I mean, this is something that, that we found in our research about church plants, especially around the idea of conflict. Uh, a lot of, of uh, church plants, especially ones that are trying to do experimental kinds of church planting, they often imagine that the, 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 the bullet, the shot, the, the death blow is going to come from outside of them. And it actually, uh, nine times out of ten, is an internal disappointment and an inability to have um, clear and important conversations together as a community. So the fact that she's focusing on that is so important. And her idea around the seeds, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more, Elle, on that too. Uh, there are a lot of terrible reasons to start a church. And church plants um, uh, uh, and church planters, my goodness, you can find all kinds of terrible reasons to start them. There's the look at me reason. There's the I'll show you reason. And those are, while they're common, they're they're terrible fuel yep. for planting a church. And so, so paying attention to those seeds, paying attention to why you're in it, um, helping your congregation have more uh, uh, serious and intimate conversations about who we are, why am I here? What is my reason for being here? What is our reason for being? Uh, those are all really, really important things to talk about, things to, to work through. And so uh, it's something that we teach in the Church Plant Design Shop. It's actually something I wrote about in my book, Gutsy. Um, and, it, and it really is something to, to pay attention to. I love that she's attacking it from a different, a slightly different angle, but this is, this is important stuff. Planters, starters out there, bring in some outside people, have some outside voices that can help you have these really important conversations. And again, like you say, conflict is actually, uh, it's something that, that can be very powerful. It can launch us, but it can also drag us down if we don't handle it in the right way. And that's what I'm, I'm really excited about, about this interview. Yeah. So Al, if people want to continue the conversation with, 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 uh, Betty and with us, how would, how would they go about doing that? Uh, the best way to get a hold of her would be there. I know that they're changing, um, they're just rebranding. So right now it's the L3 group. If you Google her, Betty Priest, you'll easily be able to find her. It's Betty. How do you spell her last name? B-E-T-T-Y. Her last name's Priest, P-R-I-E-S. Uh, she is a teacher at Conrad Grable and has this business. And I think it's really important to remember that there's no shame in having um, mediation or someone come who, you know, doesn't have a stake essentially in the in the, in the the outcome. It's, it's a person that's able to um, come and be a part of it um, in that conversation. And so so 
mediation does more than just resolve conflicts and disagreements. It really enables people to see and understand another's perspective. So no shame in calling someone in um, and connecting with people. And I know that she would be more than happy to connect with anybody that's looking for uh, that kind of help. Um, or if you can't find her information, you can always send us an email. We'd be more than happy to put you in touch. If you want to stay connected with the, the broader New Leaf conversation, one of the ways, the best way to do that is actually through our Facebook page. Uh, we post all kinds of stuff from our blog, all kinds of stuff from the other networks that we we run with and, and pay attention to, other Canadian writers. Um, and of course, our podcast lives on our Facebook page. Um, please send us some comments, write some, if, if, if we talk about something in, in one of our episodes, um, please make some comments. Uh, if you hear something you really like, share it with your friends that increases, uh, the amount of exposure that we get as, as a network. And it is very, very helpful as a, as a way of just helping us grow. So if you're wondering even how to get involved, those two simple things are very powerful, uh, ways of helping us, um, like I say, expand and grow. What are some other ways that people can stay connected to us, Elle? Uh, always check out the website, www, www, how many W's I There's only there? three W's. Yeah, only yeah, three. three. Uh, newleafnetwork.ca, our events page. We have the podcast there. We have the blog there. So keep connected with us. You know, the reason that we want to stay connected with you um, uh, isn't because we're looking to get famous or uh, to do do anything nefarious. We, we want to be sharing the Canadian story and we want to be sharing that with as many people as possible. So if you know somebody who has an interesting story to tell, um, who's a great writer, who has something that we could interview them for the podcast, let us know. We would love to hear about it um, because we want to hear from stories all across Canada and all the good work that people are doing. So be sure to send us an email, l at newleafnetwork.ca or jared at l at jared at newleafnetwork.ca. Uh, we would love to hear from you and we actually respond. So uh, please do uh, connect with us. We would love it. We also have a pretty big event coming up. So if you'd like to hang out with us face-to-face, -face, uh, Amy is going to be there as well, our blog editor, and a number of our advisory team members are going to be there. Um, and we're hosting a pre-conference to the Church Planning Canada Congress. So our little pre-conference, it's 25 bucks. It's on October the 24th at St. Jack's in Montreal. Come out and see us. We're going to be talking about the nuns and the duns, which is an evolving story of, of secularity in Canada. We're going to bring in Canadian historians to talk about it. We're going to bring in sociologists. We're going to bring in pastors and practitioners to help us think through how do we engage with and and have a better conversation about what's actually going on in the Canadian context. How do we begin thinking like missionaries? Those are the kinds of questions we're going to be tackling. Plus, we're just going to be there for this great event that happens every two years. It's called the Congress. It's a great way for planters to connect from across the country. If your denomination doesn't know about it or they don't send planters, uh, get on them. Send them some emails. Tell them, hey, would you send me to this? and uh, get the support you need to resource yourself, planters and starters. Um, denominations uh, love you, they care for you, they don't always know how to support you, and this is an easy way to do it. Easy way to do it is just to put you in a room with people 
who care about you, love you, know what you're going through, and, and can help you feel a little less lonely out there. So that's one of the ways you can actually physically interact with the New Leaf Network. We're going to be there in force, and uh, it's going to be an exciting event. So I think that's it for this episode. Do you have anything else we need to talk about? Don't think so. I'm all talked out. Okay. All right. Great. Uh, I mean, not great. I mean, I, I love hearing what you have to say. No, no, it's all right. It doesn't happen very often, so you can say great. Okay. All right. Well, then that's great. Uh, so uh, join us next time as we continue amplifying the voices in the Canadian context. Thanks for tuning in, friends, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the New Leaf Podcast. You can find us on the web at newleafnetwork.ca or head on over to our Facebook page, New Leaf Network. We have events, workshops, and conversations happening all the time. We would love if you could join us as we share the stories of planters and starters all across Canada.